0: New on CuriosityStream.
1: From time to time, we have collisions between asteroids and the Earth.
0: We track them. We study them. We hope the big one never comes. Don't look up. It's asteroid rush. And alligators. They rarely get sick. They even outlasted the dinosaurs. Could they hold the secret to human longevity? Their blood could have antibacterial applications. Wade into the investigation on immortal alligators. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 cleaners and protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nano-spray coating gives you professional protection and a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to Protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to Boost Protection, Slickness and Shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Bradfaux Show. Bradfaux Show. Welcome to the Bradfow Show, the place where WEI.com's Rob Bradford talks all things that interest him, some of which you might just want to listen to. So sit back and soak in another episode of the soon-to-be award-winning show a whole bunch of people are talking about. The Bradfoe Show. Here's Rob
2: Bradford. Welcome to another edition of The Bradfoe Show, sponsored, as always, by Ghoul's Distinctive Clothing, the people who make me look so darn good, and Hub New England Insurance. You aren't going to find a group with more integrity. Alex Spear can tell, attest to that. Nobody... Other than Hub New England Insurance, and maybe every participant on the Bradfoe Show has more integrity than Alex Spear. Welcome.
1: (laughs) What select company? Thank you, Bradfoe.
2: Oh, I tell you what. Number five. This is number five in the books, or about to be in the books, and what we're going to do today, and I think it's a good thing to do on Fridays, usually beginning series, Red Sox series, heading in the weekend. And have a whole week in back of us in the rearview mirror, as I like to write in every every other story that I pen. Um, right, the yeah, curious
1: case of the rearview mirror. Yeah, like you know,
2: like, <laughs> you, what's what's your crutch? What's your writing crutch? If your top three, I I always do the rearview mirror. Someone said the other day, um, what was it? I can't remember. But what what what's what's your biggest crutch? Writing crutch that you default to.
1: Uh. Asking a question as a headline. Yeah, for starters.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, that's me too. That's
1: pretty high on the list. Um, you yeah. know, simp- uh, simply
2: put, comma is one another one where I try to stay away from, but I find myself trapped. Trapped. I and,
1: don't even try to stay away from any of those, like any of those paragraph openers. Still, comma, but comma, et cetera, <laughs> Yeah, <et cetera. laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yes. It's a it's a rich and complex world, Rob, and there are only so many terms to. Uh, uh, there are only so many one-word one, one word terms to connote that at the start of a paragraph.
2: All right. Well, simply put, we have a week in the rearview mirror, Alex. And uh, what we have for the Red Sox is five games. And I just want to go through where they kind of stand after these five games and your impressions on some of the things and just give people kind of a jumping-off point of where they stand. Heading into the series in Texas, they have a three-game set there. They have a day off on of Monday. Then They have three more games in Minnesota and they have reached 500. Hurrah! Right, everybody is is jump for joy over them re- reaching. Yeah, this 500. was
1: really the landmark that people were looking for. Yeah, no, I, I except so. John
2: Farrell. Uh, John mm-hmm. Farrell was not buying into the whole 500 thing.
1: No, I think that the, I think that there are a number of them who are kind of uh, who are kind of meh on the idea of, uh, of reaching 500. Uh, it's not exactly it's not exactly the standard to which they were aspiring. <laughs> no. Um yeah, there, you know, there's a bigger picture there.
2: Well, you, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Farrell, and I said, hey, you know, under the Farrell regime, you still have not lost more than three in a row. And he said, yeah, but we haven't won more than seven. I said, well, if you're going to pick the, one of those two, I think that you would pick the, uh, the former rather than the latter.
1: Yeah, you'd take a lot of six-game winning streaks with, uh, with two-game losing streaks or three-game losing streaks, right? Well,
2: it is it, kind of amazing. I mean, now we're a whole year and now a month. And they still have not lost three in a row. And I think, I don't know about you, Alex, but I think that is, uh, you can say about the chemistry and everything else, starting pitching. Starting pitching, starting pitching, starting pitching, more times than not is probably going to be the biggest reason for that.
1: Thoughts? Oftentimes, yes. Although here I, last year I always thought that it was a byproduct of exceptional execution. Uh, that it permitted them just not to suffer uh some of the lapses over the course of the three games that the other teams might experience. And this year I do think that it's been the, the pitching and the starting pitching, uh, because the offensive execution uh and for that matter the defensive execution has not been that consistent and has not been that great and I think that uh and so I, I think that it has been all about uh the quality of the uh of the starting when you have uh you know when you have Lester Lester Lackey is kind of anchors, and Peavy's been uh, quite consistent as well. Even though um, that's kind of given the Red Sox a chance to uh, to come back late, as much as anything, hmm. um, that's that's allowed them to withstand this period when their offense just hasn't really clicked on a consistent basis yet.
2: Well, you talk about execution, one, and we can get to quality starts here. I think they're yeah, here they are. They, we, we, quality starts, obviously, is a huge – well, not a huge thing. It might be an overrated thing. But I think it, it shows you kind of where – I guess a guideline of where they are uh, in regards to what you're talking about. But, Alex, you had said something about execution and how well they executed last year, right? Sure. Yes, you had said that. I did. Uh, one of the things – I
1: stand by it.
2: Standing at, sitting at my kitchen table yesterday, waiting for the NFL draft – and the Bruins game to start, and waiting also to read your fine Mike Napoli story. We can talk about that a little bit as well. Um, good story once again from you. But, well, thanks, Rob. Yeah, Sure. You know, As I was sitting in my kitchen table anticipating all these things, I looked up one stat about just stolen base percentage. Last in the major leagues. Now, we, we aren't going to get too high or too low on any of these stats, or it's a month in and a lot of these stats aren't the be-all end-all. But You're an even-kill guy. I am a, well, I, I try to be. You know as well as anybody that that's not <laughs> always the case. But they were at the top, tippity-top of the major leagues in stolen base percentage. One of the things that kind of everyone said, yeah, look at that. Look at how efficient they are. Look at how they're executing. And then now this year, 11 for 20. Now, we understand Jacoby Ellsbury isn't here. What to make of the stolen base percentage so far? And, and I don't want to diminish it too too much because I, I I I kind of feel like that's what you're going to do. But just tell me why this is. They aren't a
1: running team right now. Uh, they don't have any. They don't have base stealers because it's not just Ellsbury, but Shane Victorino and Dustin Pedroia, uh, who were important stolen base threats last year. Uh, haven't really been haven't really been synced up. I don't think on the bases, and I don't know uh, what that is. Maybe it's not, why that is? It's uh, it's a little bit odd to me um, that uh, that that they haven't just they just haven't seemed like they've uh, maybe, maybe opposing pitchers are kind of zeroing in on them a little bit more. Yeah, but Alex, uh, but, but Alex, there.
2: the thing is, is it like you said? I I totally agree with you. You don't have Ellsbury. Victorino's been hurt, but that's uh, to me that's not the point. The point, the whole thing here is stolen base percentage. Eleven for sure. twenty.
1: Well, but I'm getting to that. Okay. So when oh, you're sorry. You're not a stolen base team uh, when you don't have base when you don't have base stealing threats. Uh, then a preponderance of these stolen base attempts uh, that you that you end up taking are kind of forced. Uh, they end up being more of the hit, of the busted hit and run varieties. When you have you know a Mike Carp getting gunned down at second base, uh, or you know you kind of bring in. You know, bring in a Jonathan Herrera for you know for a designated. You know, you you kind of try to force the action a little bit, especially given this period of of offensive. You know, of offensive drought. And uh, John Farrell, in fact, just talks about how he's probably he's probably been a little bit aggressive trying to force. Uh, the running game early on, in order to uh, in order to try to generate some things, and you know there are also some people who are taking some lumps. Xander Bogarts, we've seen on the bases making a couple of mistakes that's led to some uh, that's led to some some plays that have been uh, that have I believe been registered as caught stealings. Um, and then there's the puzzle of of a guy like Pedroia getting thrown out. Yeah, I think that, uh, that's 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 the bigger thing, right,
2: of all of them. And I, and I agree with what you're saying that there there you don't have a lot to work with there. But is the one who you say he was so efficient a few years ago, so efficient, and then it's that's kind of gone by the boards. Now I know that some of this has to do with with hit and runs, miss hit and runs. Uh, he, he he actually stopped running quite a bit because he was in front of David Ortiz, and this has allowed mm-hmm. him to run a little bit more. You would think.
1: Uh, you would think, but. You know we should also i guess it is also necessary to uh to take note that uh that Pedroya is now you know in in the ancient part of his career in his thirties uh so you would expect there to be um some diminution of speed at the very least uh even even if not a significant one can and i put
2: can I pull that out by the way that Alex or spear colon Pedroya an ancient part of career <laughs>
1: That'll go over very well. Yes, yes. yes. We believe in uh we, we believe in celebrating, you know, phrases that are offered without context.
2: And verbal um, and, and, and subsequent verbal beatdowns, yes. There
1: we go. Um so uh so yeah, I think that uh, I, I think that you know, we're we're kind of maybe we're seeing opposing pitchers zeroing in on him more as a stolen base threat in the lineup. Uh, than they would otherwise, particularly because the Red Sox are in a position uh, where they're probably being forced to manufacture a little bit. But, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't have a good feel for why it's happening, but, you know... But maybe, I think it's a
2: microcosm. We talk about execution, would you... Yeah. It's a microcosm of the differences of what we see, saw last year and this
1: year. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, a team... That did very well in terms of taking the extra 90 feet uh, this year has struggled to do so and has in fact been adding out to the equation.
2: Okay, so uh, we kind of I kind of got off the beaten track here with that stolen base conversation, but this the whole theme of this podcast, Alex, is things that I want to talk about that interest me and maybe doesn't doesn't interest you at all. But who cares? No, who I'm, cares? Yeah, it's,
1: not, it's it is the Brad show. After yeah,
2: all. did you find that interesting? That stolen base conversation
1: marginally. I don't know. I bored myself, but uh- no, I, I thought that. Uh, I thought I had some good
2: points. You did have some good points. But I, I want to loop back to something that – or the theme of the show, which we talked about at the beginning, which but is looking at – the that interests you? That. And, and yeah. what interests me really is this week. It's a good time to look back and say this happened this week. This has changed over the course of the week. Going into the series against Oakland, which would have been Friday, last Friday a week ago – they were three games under 500. Now they're, under, they're at 500. they They've been playing a little bit better. Give me one takeaway for the positive, one takeaway for the negative over the last week for you.
1: Uh, one takeaway for the positive. Uh, I mean, I, I think that it is ongoing, but uh, I think that the bullpen has been, um, even though the bullpen actually, you know, there, there have been some, uh, some small issues here and there. But the depth of the bullpen to me has really been striking and permitting some of these uh, some of these later game uh, comebacks. I'll, I'll add in uh, one subset of that. Uh, I think Andrew Miller looks unbelievable. I mean, just overpowering. I think he looks better than he did even on his best runs of a year did ago. Did he
2: say anything different to you than he did me when I saw you looping back with him? It's the second time uh, you loop back.
1: I, I, I didn't hear what he said to you, so uh, so by virtue of that, I cannot compare well, and contrast. What was the
2: most interesting thing that Andrew Miller told you?
1: Um, it was It was interesting to talk about uh, to talk about the position of kind of confidence he 's in with regards to mechanical simplicity uh, the fact that he's reached a point in his career uh, where he does really feel so comfortable and confident in, in what he's doing as opposed to when he was with the Marlins you know and he they tried to turn into being an over the top pitcher in hopes of improving his control and that just left him a mess. He was fully healthy, but throwing eighty eight miles an hour back then. Uh, as opposed to throwing from his natural arm slot, where he feels very comfortable, he had to search for it a little bit coming out of spring training this year. But since he's had it, it's been locked in, and he's been throwing just like well, Compare
2: that. Compare the. Also, compare the the windup or the the approach. I mean, it, it is amazing in how simplistic his his approach to the plate is compared to probably if you look back, and he actually had the leg kick and everything else. I mean, there's nothing. You're going from the stretch all the time, and it's just. Slide even step, though his boom. even
1: though his stride is still enormous, uh, there was a there was a picture of him in profile, and it is amazing. Like the guy is finishing his pitches, basically standing on the front lip of the mound because yeah. he's so huge,
2: which is a huge deal, right? I mean the the I remember talking to John Farrell about when about Papelbon when he was here, and what made the ball jump at the last minute for hitters with Papelbon, or seemingly so. And there was a few things. The ball kind of comes out of his uniform. That doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. But also, when he's releasing the ball, he's so far forward that, that, that you're basically taking away about three feet from what the hitter has to react to.
1: Yeah, and when you're combining that with you know with an easy 95 to 97, you know from an angle that hitters just aren't used to seeing, then it's it's pretty nasty.
2: So what's the uh, what would be the negative, biggest negative from the last
1: week? Well, I also before we get to the negative, I also want to point out that the starting pitching performances of uh, especially Lester. I mean, that was just yeah,
2: that you know, was. We, we
1: it's we are we are reaching the point where you know we're we're looking at almost a year's what ten months worth of work that's been. Uh, extraordinary. I, um, I
2: I wish I didn't write that
1: column. You the, wish
2: you didn't write. No, the no I wrote the, the column after a couple starts ago about how he, the conversations changed with Lester. But that that's the column that should have been written after this last start because he had a he had a subpar start after I wrote that. You know yeah, what I'm well, saying? But was, I think the conversation was, he, he, he is he still changed. Like it
1: was it was like an it was like that moment where he probably saw the column, Rob, and it was kind of like he was, was kind of like when Wiley Coyote runs off the cliff and looks down, and all of a sudden he sees there's nothing around him. Yeah. That's probably what happened. He was overwhelmed. But he, he regained his bearings after falling to the bottom of the canyon and well, then got right back up.
2: But you pointed this out, and uh, I think that you you had cited FIP, um, uh, but I, I looked up the fan graph stat, and yeah. he, he's at the top of the – I don't think he's top in regards to that, but the war. I think he,
1: he might be. He might have been. He might be after that last start. Well, he's he, he's, got, he's
2: got he's got the he he's got yeah. I'm sorry. He's got the best war of anybody at uh, any starting pitcher, and that's better than Felix Hernandez. It's better than. Cranky is whoever. I mean, he, he has the best war right now, and I understand that's innings and that's a lot of strikeouts, but still, it, listen, I mean, right now he's amongst the best pitchers in the, in the game. And Unquestionably. In, in a contract here, that's not a bad place to be. And you mentioned starting pitching, and we can't forget also, ever since Felix Dubrand discovered that he was going to be his own pitching coach, he's not done too poorly as well. He's done okay.
1: He's done Okay. I I think that it will be difficult to get carried away with anything that Gibraltar's has done and to make any, you know, and to kind of offer a referendum on uh, he's cemented his spot or he's, he's about to lose it. What we know is they're giving him more of a leash there right now. uh, The push from Pawtucket hasn't been extreme. Um, Ruby De La Rosa has largely been very good this year, even though his command has been faltering a little bit of late. Uh, But, you know, as opposed to, as opposed to at other times when, you know, for instance, when Clay Buckholtz in 2009 was kind of forcing his way into the rotation by being virtually unhittable every outing in Pawtucket, that's not happening with any of the starters right now.
2: Yeah, well, be, but, but Alex, if you said Ruby De La Rosa come up to the starting rotation and he gave you what Felix DeBron gave you for the last two starts, you'd be like, oh, that's good. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. So, so anyway, what's the negative? You gave a couple positives and they were both legitimate positives. What's the negative?
1: Uh, let's see. I'll suppose, i I suppose that there are a, uh, a couple of uh, a couple of looming negatives. Uh, the, the ongoing struggles with runners in scoring position is getting weird and suggests that, you know, I, I guess you kind of you kind of almost invent reasons why it's happening, and you do wonder whether or not it's kind of getting in the heads of uh, of the hitters at all if they're trying to mess around with their approach. I think that particularly um, it's been interesting to see. Uh, Xander Bogarts, who I think has really been trying to have an approach with runners in scoring position and runners on base, and it just hasn't been natural to him. Um, I did look up uh, how that how he did in the minor leagues coming up, uh, relative you know, in runners in scoring position situations relative to other situations, and he was worse uh, coming up um, in those situations. Starting last year in Pawtucket, uh, when he hit like I think that he only hit 250. With runners in scoring position, and was much better than that in other situations. So, I don't know. To me, that just suggests someone who's um, who's young and yeah. I, I want to see. I want to figure out see, his identity as a, as a hitter in certain situations. I
2: want to see Bogarts kind of get his feet under him, both health wise and maybe even weather wise. And I, I listen. This isn't like a cliche about the kid from Aruba and and it being cold and everything else, but. I think the the track record will show you as the weather gets warmer, he gets better. And I, I just think he's he still has a lot being thrown at him. I do think he's sure. been more comfortable in the field of late. You look at this last week, this five games that we were talking about, um and you know, he's he's been okay. He hasn't really got on base as much as he had in the past. He hit two fifty, he went four for sixteen. And, uh, you know, I think the second half of that, he showed a little bit better defense. I remember that that rainout, when was that? Mm-hmm. When was a rainout? It was uh, Let's see, oh, it Tampa, the Tampa the, series. Right, the
1: doubleheader. So, so that, that he, been,
2: he, yeah. he and Brian Butterfield sat and talked at their locker for like an hour. Mm-hmm. And and behind the scenes, there's probably a lot more of this than we see, but this was out in the open, and they're just talking and talking and talking. It was more talking to him a little bit later. He said, you know, this is just about just relaxing, being yourself, you know, and I think that's also difficult when you've been banged up. He had the calf thing. He has some other things maybe going on. Um so I think I'm willing to give him a pass. Now, another... Sure. another oh, of course. And, an-
1: you know, with the, with the recognition that he's someone who learns very, very quickly, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that he's already had to learn extraordinarily quickly to be at this stage of his career as a 21-year-old. Every, you know, he's not a finished product. He is someone who's getting better.
2: Yeah. So if we look at this last week, um, just to give you who did really well, who didn't, uh, Dustin Bedroy, 8 for 21 four walks he had a very good week that's 381
1: had that first homer of the year uh
2: yes yes absolutely and and uh i want to get back to him but presents pretty good six for 16 sizemore came on nine for 16 uh victorino four for 17 napoli napoli's an interesting one this before I get back to Pedroia, let's talk a little bit about Napoli. You wrote about him today and all the progress that he has made since he's been with the Red Sox. But I want to talk about what he's doing right now. It's it, because I, I saw that finger the other day. It it still is remarkably still swollen. I mean, yeah, it's gross. And and I would not be surprised. Was it you who was talking about this about the hairline fracture? Uh, L- I was not. Okay. Well, I'm not saying he has a hairline fracture, but I think it was Lou Maloney about how the initial MRI uh, x-ray might not pick this up because something like that, even though you're pounding on it every day, every day, every day. So that's the excuse for it to be so swollen. Then sometimes it's revealed that it still has a hairline fracture somewhere down the road. It was so swollen that it just didn't seem right that far off from when he actually did it, which was gruesome in itself. Mm -hmm. But um, I want to go back. So he's been dealing with that. So this past week, this, Time period that we're talking about, three for thirteen, but with six walks. I mean, right. I mean to to your point that you like you wrote about, this guy has done so many things to help the team, and it has been so valuable. Uh, and I think that he's made great, great strides in a couple different areas of the game so far this year as well.
1: Well, I think that he's a. Basically, the Red Sox have reached the conclusion that he is a really damn good baseball player. Uh, and that isn't just in reference to what he does in the batter's box. That was why they signed him. That was the primary impetus for signing him uh, when they did after the 2012 season because they viewed him as having middle-of-the-order skills, given his plate discipline, the ability to drive up opposing pitch counts, and to hit the ball very, very far. Well, can, um, I,
2: can I jump in real quick? The, um you talk about his plate discipline. We, we cited his stats from the last week and hitting 230 or whatever it was, but and with the six walks. And also, it should be noted, pitches for plate appearance during this stretch, 4.74, which is far and away best on the team, not even close.
1: Yeah, and that well, that's just consistent with a year in which he has Absolutely. 4.68 pitches per plate appearance, which is first in the major leagues. Uh, he's a really good all-around player That now, now at this point, however. You know, you're seeing it with regards to uh, – you're seeing it with regards to, uh, to his defense where he's you know, so comfortable. He's making leaping plays at first base, which is, uh, I think, a kind of unexpected development in what we thought was a potential trajectory for him as he got accustomed to playing first base on an everyday basis. I mean, he's moving really, really well there. He's saving his infielders uh, quite a number of, uh, quite a number of, of, uh, of runs on, on picks. We saw it um, emphasized in the, in the little bit of time that he missed when he was, you know, right after he had had the finger injury, and you know the 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 whole complexion of the infield defense was different uh, when he wasn't in there, and there were some very costly uh, there were some very costly plays in which the first baseman wasn't able to take uh, a short hop throw or something along those lines. So he's become a very good defender. Uh, he's become he's he actually already was a very good base runner. But I don't think that that received its proper due while he was with the Angels and with the Rangers. Um, but with the Red Sox, I, I think that uh, they are—they have made him um, essentially a, a talking point and a role model for prospects. Mookie Betts, the Red Sox—you know—absurd phenom right now. You know, the guy. Well, the Red Sox phenom who is on an absurd run right now uh, was—I uh, was talking to him recently. Um, and asked him, so you know, who, which, which players do you kind of look to as guys on whom you, who you kind of want to emulate parts of their game? Um, and he said, well, when I was in spring training for a game uh, in big league camp, Brian Butterfield said, watch what Mike Napoli does on the bases. You just watch what he does. Pay attention to that. And you will learn so much. Mike Napoli is viewed as being as good a base runner as the Red Sox have, which. You know, he's a, he's a slower guy, uh, but he, he really maximizes his abilities and lets his, lets his quote-unquote, lack of speed play up um, because he's an incredibly intelligent base runner. And so in many ways, he's become this role model for what the Red Sox want their players to be in terms of the different facets of the game to the impacts. Batter's box, pitches per plate appearance, defense, base running, uh, the way in which he's he's kind of a he's he's really into the details of the game. He loves baseball. He mm. loves talking about baseball. He's a clubhouse leader. He loves Boston. He loves playing in Boston. <laughs> so this is a guy who ticks off a lot of check marks that suggest in the words of Brian Butterfield that he's a that he's kind of a bearer of the torch for what the yeah. Red Sox want their players to be. Um and he's someone who's able to impact the game even when he's not in his hottest offensive streaks, and I'll make uh, one final note: baseball references, uh, as baseball reference calculates WAR, wins above replacement. Napoli right now is fifth in the majors.
2: That's good. That's pretty good. He's doing okay. Yeah. Well, we we talked about this. I think it was the very beginning of the season. He had a big game in Baltimore, and he's talking about how doesn't work about worry about the contract, doesn't worry about the injuries. Uh, doesn't worry, you know. He's not worrying about a lot of stuff that he was dealing with last year. But you know, that's that's kind of a cliche a lot of times too. You know, it's. I think that the most important thing is feeling comfortable, but also using that to get better and and not limiting the strikeouts. Another example of him getting better. Uh, moving on to the next player, I wanted to talk about Dustin Bedroya and I said he's had a big week this last week. Has an OPS of uh, one point one nine four. Uh, Hitting almost 400. Since this has just been a win win for everybody at the top of the order, right? I mean, they needed a leadoff hitter. Pedroia needed, I guess, for lack of a better way to say it, a change of scenery in the lineup. And since he's moved there, why the stats won't jump out at you is saying, oh, he's the best leadoff hitter in baseball right now. I think his approach has changed in the way he's looked at things, despite this last game where he struck out, what, a four times or whatever it was?
1: Yeah, three times I think. Three times,
2: maybe it was four. Yeah, uh, but but I mean I think this, as I said before, this is a win-win for everybody because they desperately needed a leadoff hitter. This was the best guy to do it, and they also they
1: stabilized the top of the order, which was a mess. Oh, a it wasn't mess. mess. And like their lineup, their lineup was unpredictable on a day-to-day basis. Now with Pedroia anchoring it, with Victorino right behind him. They know what they have on a daily basis, which has been, I think, really helpful for him and really helpful for others. Well, um, well that and, that
2: that that dynamic of the Pedroia, Victorino, Ortiz, Napoli, and then you have either Sizemore or probably Gomes behind until one of these other guys may, might get hot. It's not a bad. It's not a bad collection of guys.
1: No, it's been pretty solid, and and you know Pedroia's been interesting because we've heard through the years. Him kind of expressing some discomfort with the idea of hitting leadoff, uh, but in this case, he seems like he's kind of embraced it, especially in that first step out of the game. Um, in his in the 15 games in which uh, in which he's been the leadoff hitter now this year, he has in the first plate appearance of the game, he's reached base seven times. So that's a really good on-base percentage, right? Uh, and uh, that would be what, just off the top of my head, but four thirty-seven, something like that. Um, anyway. Uh, and so that's a really good on-base percentage. And five of it, has, five of those times have been via walks. So he's seeing a ton of pitches to start off the game. He's doing what a, what a leadoff hitter is supposed to be doing. It doing, and he's doing it really well. And I think that it's just you know it's just helped to to give the Red Sox the look of a team that can score early. Yeah, well, which they were
2: they were doing a
1: terrible job. Behind, they were falling behind every game. Yeah, you know? so, and that's where
2: I think they deva- I, I'm not saying they devalued Ellsbury because you know, listen, the Yankees paid more than anybody would have paid. We understand that. Yeah. But the whole idea of well, we prioritize getting on base. The difference is is that you get on base, and then you get to second base, and then you score. Hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and Pedroia still isn't that guy. Ellsbury was. But he at least has that opportunity. He has a little bit of speed, and he can get things going a little bit more than even a, a good Daniel Nava. I mean, Daniel Nava he has so many great qualities when he's going good to help a lineup. But I just don't know if – just because he can get on base if he's the
1: right guy to be that guy. Well, the efficiency with which he can translate getting on base to scoring a run is different than it is that's for, a, that's See, see and, you just See, you put it perfectly. That's
2: that's exactly what I wanted to say, but in a much more succinct way of doing it. The last thing I wanted to, to touch on was Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, just before we went on, I was looking up the where the Red Sox ranked. In regards to the number nine spot in the order, and actually in the American League, slightly uh, better than average. I think they're number five, so um, so it's not horrific. I mean, we and I think we both agree that we still have to give this guy some time. But I guess a month in, what if you went back and said, okay, Jackie Bradley's going to be playing every day in center field. It's a month in, he's going to struggle, but he's going to be able to do this. What has surprised you that he hasn't been able to do that? Maybe he had previously during, with his skill set.
1: Well, I think that overall, just the offense, the defense has been exceptional and has been a difference maker. Uh, I, I think that that genie is now uh, is now pretty far out of the bottle to the point where uh, if he can if he can maintain an on base percentage of at least three hundred, I, I think that it's going to be difficult for them to reverse course on uh, on having Bradley in center field or at least you know. Sometimes in right field is on days when Victorino isn't there, and then they can exercise more in center. Um, but in terms of uh, in terms of the skill set, I think we do see some plate discipline there. I do think that we actually see maybe even more than is reflected in the statistics self awareness at times. Um, because for instance, there are pitches that are on the you know that are on the on the black away that he's not swinging at because he'll kind of. See them and say I I can't really do anything with that. Um, So I think that the pitch recognition has actually been pretty good. It's just been a matter of being able to identify those pitches uh, that he can drive. Well, too many strikeouts.
2: Too many strikeouts. Too. He struck out a ton in spring training. He's still striking out a lot. Um, I don't
1: think that his swing is long as it was in spring training, though. I think that he's just getting beaten on. Right. Well, well,
2: strikeouts a strikeout. I mean, it's yeah, I agree. But
1: a strikeout is a strikeout. But it's but you know there there's a question of soundness of approach. Uh, in some instances. In sprint training, I didn't think he had a sound approach. And and During the season, I think that he's had the right swing, the right idea with his swing. I think that he's just getting beat.
2: Yeah, listen, I'm not saying that that Jack... I'm a proponent of the, let's wait for Jackie Bradley and Mm -hmm. see kind of what unfolds, and we've used the Dustin Pedroia 2007 example.
1: Or used Jacoby Ellsbury in 2008, when for the first couple months of the season, he struggled to the point of being moved down from number one in the lineup to number nine. And it really wasn't until June that he started hitting the ball with any authority. Yeah. It really started seeing major league pitching. So
2: let's look at the positives, and I agree. I mean, they're going to prioritize defense. They saw what happened earlier in the year when they didn't have defense at that position, not only there, but in right field, and allows the Victorino-Bradley dynamic in center and right is exactly what they want, and I think well, some, they're going to prioritize. But look at some of the numbers that we say, oh, well, that's, that's helpful. Not extraordinary, but helpful. He'd almost takes he almost takes four pitches per plate appearance mm-hmm. batting average balls put in play 309 so it suggests that you know when he does hit the ball it's he might be hitting it somewhat hard right correctly
1: that that number isn't necessarily an indication of it's difficult to read you, you need to know exit velocity and that sort of thing uh, yeah but
2: but you know what I, I, I I'll take it I, I will I mean I know that you're you talking about exit velocity but in but still, you look at what he did last year around the same, almost exactly the same at bats, and he had a two forty six BABIP. So, I'm yeah, just... last
1: year, well, last year he was just he was just like hitting grounder. right?
2: Back. But that, that's yeah. my point. I mean, yep. that, that's my overall sure. point. No, 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 is it? Mean, I agree. Yes, he's, I stri- he's striking out too much, but he's at least putting better contact on the ball more consistently. Yep. Um, so those are some of the positive. You have sixteen walks. Uh it's not bad.
1: In... And we're seeing him with that swing that, you know, that he you know, using that swing to shoot the ball into the left center field gap. Uh he's done that a lot with runners in scoring position in particular, in which, you know, uh, up until that, that kind of disastrous game against the A's, he had been among he had been right, red hitter with runners in scoring position. Um and uh, you know, it's it tailed off this week for him. Uh, in that regard. But I, I thought that we've seen overall a pretty sound approach of looking to stay back, wait on pitches, and then kind of zing them to left field, left center. center
2: yeah, field. very good with scoring position. As you said, a little bit of a downturn recently, but still hitting 344 with scoring position. Scoring position was two out, 313. One thing to keep an eye on close and late. Uh, only two for 20. And I mean, that might just be pressing too much relievers. big moments.
1: Relievers. Yeah, that's well. a good point, He's too. Yeah. A lot of left-handed relievers. How about
2: he was intentionally walked the other day? And the Red Sox, I know, were kind of rolling their eyes, like, wow, <laughs> they, we didn't see that coming. Yeah. But hey, you know, you, t- the t- you take Create what you the can get. Uh, sure. Lastly, and I appreciate you taking the time. I know you have a busy schedule. And uh, lastly, for the minor league stuff for this past week. Your bi- your biggest takeaway for this last week, this last seven days, from the Red Sox minor league system, and the only caveat is you cannot utter the words Mookie or Betts.
1: There's a player named Superman in AA uh, who has been flying around with a cape, but I think that he's fallen below the magical <laughs> 400 mark, so I'll move beyond that.
2: Did did he? Uh, and you're speaking, of course, the the person which I shall only name is Mookie Betts. Did uh, does he still have his on base streak going?
1: Yes, sixty okay. games. Six, wow, unbelievable. Sixty games. So he's getting into sight of uh, of that Millar Yucelis record setting seventy one game mark uh, that uh, that exists. But no plans to uh, no plans to move him up to uh, to Pawtucket just yet. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of other stuff that's been going on. Um, Let's see. I would say that uh, it's so difficult. Well, I, Brian Johnson is emerging. as a very interesting prospect, uh, pitching prospect, kind of joining the wave. Um, he's relatively unheralded compared unheralded compared to a lot of the other guys, but he just moved up to AA Portland from Salem after uh, after a handful of starts in Salem to start the year. Um, Won his first game was very impressive in Portland, someone who has a really terrific uh, feel for pitching uh, and combines that with an ability to throw strikes with uh, with a four-pitch mix, um, I, I think that he has a chance uh, to be pushing and, and kind of knocking on the door in the not-too-distant future. Um, and there's a chance he could leapfrog other guys who are in AAA right now uh, as a pitching prospect. Yeah, because even real though he has less power, real um, quick,
2: I mean, no. real quick, uh, delarose has been good, but none of those other guys that have been so uh, so referenced, you know, Renato Bar- oh, Barnes just got a late start but um webster uh, owens has been doing okay right but no one has said okay you know well, what owens
1: owens just threw 7 7 no-hit innings yesterday before he oh gave see up, uh, his see first
2: i NCAA. should pay attention more but um, but also, so i uh, haven't
1: published the roundup yet
2: today well I, that's how i that's how i pay attention Alex. come on yeah. you know that
1: but no owens is owens hasn't owens has some work to do in terms of refining his control before he'd be putting himself in position for a call up even though he's kind of unhittable when he's throwing strikes um so I think that De La Rosa has been the most impressive of the guys in Pawtucket. Opposing batting average sub 200 against him thus far this year. Getting a lot of ground balls. He's had a little bit of trouble with control lately. Workman, strike thrower. He had a really good outing recently, except he only gave up four hits in seven innings. Unfortunately for him, all four were solo home runs. Uh, so you know, but that's Brandon Workman. So I, I think that he's kind of close to being. It, to me it would be a conversation between Workman and as to if you had a need for a spot start yeah. who you would go to but I don't think either of those guys are forcing the hand of the Red Sox right now in demanding big league starts It's
2: good to talk baseball again I have had I've had a fun week of doing this podcast to be, kick things off and but uh but it's good to talk baseball again I want to I do want to thank all the participants of the Bradfoe show this week and I know you you were a loyal listener uh, Kirk Minahan, first day, John Lester conversation, Mad Men, DJ Bean talking all things Bruins, DJ Bean. I meant Bruins and DJ Bean. Not Bruins, DJ Bean. Bruins and um, DJ Bean. He, he is all of these things. He is DJ, he is Bruins. He, he is all-encompassing. And Chris Price talking the NFL draft. And then yesterday we had the wildly successful Wonderlick test with the uh, <laughs> producers of Dennis and Callahan giving Kirk the smackdown. Um, which was always fun, and then today we we cap things off for the week with some awesome
1: Alex Beard baseball conversation.
2: Alex, thank you very much, and uh, we'll uh, I'll bring you over to Goulds pretty soon.
1: That would that would be exciting, but only if it interests you because that is what the Brad push
2: does. It, it certainly does. Put that on the list. All right, I'll see you later. Have a great weekend, everybody.
0: New on Curiosity Stream. With my infrared drone, I can see what others can't. Drone pilot Doug Thrawn uses his bird's eye view for the ultimate good, saving animals from desperate situations around the globe. Join the rescue effort on a new season of Doug to the Rescue. And. You captured a Confederate steamboat? You're taking the ship to freedom. An enslaved crew, a stolen vessel, and a Civil War dash to salvation on impossible escapes. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information.
2: The difference between an agent and a Realtor is real. Realtors have the expertise to find exactly what you need and the ethics to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's who we are.